Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of civilization that at least half of the country knows about. (laughs) The other half, well, they seem to be in their own little world, and we have no connection to them. But if you'd like to take your experience up to levels that can only be accomplished with illegal drugs, uh, but without the illegal drugs, all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass of tanker, chalice, stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure. It's the dopamine of the day, the, the thing that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip. And it happens now. Go! Hmm. Scott, would you be so kind as to start the YouTube stream about 30 seconds early? Mean as in before the start time? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Is that because you missed the simultaneous hip? Because the recorded version has it all. Is it when you live stream you miss the first 30 seconds? Is that what happens? I'll look into that. Maybe there's something I can do. Yeah, how can I start before I start? Exactly. Perfectly good question. Oh, it's because of the ads. Oh, it's the ads, right? So if you if you don't have the, the YouTube red, you have to look at an ad. Uh, okay, I got it. Got it. Okay, we'll see what we can do. Well, here's some good news, potentially. I always like to follow Machiavelli's underbelly. Good uh, Twitter account. Um, yeah, it always finds uh, interesting, positive things happening in the technology. So there's some scientists at the uh, University of Birmingham in the UK, and they figured out how to use laser light treatment to improve your memory by up to 25%, your short-term memory anyway. They don't know if it lasts. But they think they could also use this light treatment for ADHD. Now, apparently it's non-invasive. So I don't know exactly where do they shine the light. It's a laser. and It's non-invasive. What exactly is a non-invasive laser? Uh, But do you shoot a laser in somebody's eyes? I guess. So probably. But uh, as you know, if uh, Trump... Uh, supported this, it would be uh, reported as Trump favors uh, injecting bleach into people's eyes to improve their ADHD. That would that would be the story. Well, you know it would. You know it would. So maybe that'll be cool. Maybe they can treat ADHD. Now let me tell you my experience with light. As a professional writer, I put great care into the physical environment in which I try to write. Huge difference. I like to have both of my feet on the ground, not crossed. If I cross my legs or put my feet up, right to sleep. I also have to have the right kind of uh, distraction and and physical environment. But the light, I've discovered, is one of the biggest factors. If you get the light right, you can write for a long time. If you get the light wrong, it puts you in a whole different physical mode. So I do think that it could be that we will unlock all kinds of benefits with light treatments or bleach. 
there's also a potential obesity treatment in which they can uh, give you some kind of a compound that will change the nature of the fat in your body so that it still does whatever fat needs to do in your body that's good for you, but it doesn't get bigger. What do you think of that? <laughs> I, I feel like there could be a, an accidental impact of that. Do you know how much I would eat if I, if I didn't get fat? The only thing that keeps me from eating all day long is that I don't want to be overweight. If I could eat and not get fat, oh my God. <laughs> I'd just be eating and pooping all day long. I'd be as happy as hell. Well, it doesn't take much to keep me happy, I guess. How many of you saw the prankster who talked at the Austin City Council meeting and he did what I call embrace and amplify? Oh, thank you, John. Sunlight is good. Uh, so this prankster pretends to be a real person and he's wearing a, like a commun- communism shirt, <laughs> pro-communism. <laughs> and he gets up... And he does a whole thing about how Elon Musk taking over Twitter is the worst thing. But I wasn't sure it was a prank until some other people confirmed it because the reality and parody are are so uh, similar. So here's the first thing that the prankster said that made me say, huh, that does sound ridiculous, but not more ridiculous than what actual real people say. So see if you think this is way too ridiculous or something that an average person, if you stop them on the street, might actually say, like an actual thing a person would say. He said that uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter is worse than the Holocaust, and it might even be worse than January 6th. Now, is that perfect? (laughs) That's some good writing. First of all, that's really good writing <laughs> for a prank. <laughs> Elon taking over Twitter is worse than the Holocaust, and it might even be worse than January 6th, implying that January 6th was worse than the Holocaust. <laughs> and the thing is, I, th- I think he finished his entire thing without people catching on that it was a prank. Now, would you like to end wokeness forever? How about doing more of this? Suppose every single public hearing had one of these. But you kept getting closer and closer to reality, so they really actually couldn't tell if you were kidding. Like, they just couldn't tell. Well, what would happen? (laughs) What would happen if you took all of the arguments on the right and you started making them even stronger than they are? What would happen if every uh, every time some medicine came out, the Democrats thought it was a good idea, you accused them of uh, drinking bleach <laughs> or recommending it. <laughs> just, just do everything they do and act like you're serious about it. It would just make everything ridiculous. The entire world would just become absurd overnight. But it would be funny. Uh, here's something we learned. So there was, there's a project called OpenAI that was supposed to be, I guess, a uh, nonprofit. And the, the idea was they had to develop AI and, I don't know, it would be good for the world. I guess there's some profit element to it now. But uh, we learned from Elon Musk that OpenAI had access to Twitter data to train it. 
It had access to Twitter data. Now, I think that means more than just reading what you and I read. I think that means the API, meaning that you could get directly into the data stream of Twitter with permission. You know, that would be an entirely legitimate thing to do. But are you comfortable with AI knowing everything about your Twitter experience? <laughs> if AI learned about me only from Twitter, could it reproduce my personality? If it only knew my Twitter uh, experience? It could reproduce it, but it would be the, in, the attenuated version. Twitter me is not me. You know that, right? My Twitter personality is not like my base personality. In the same way, if I talk to a child, that's not my base personality. That's how I modify to talk to a child. If I give a, if I give a talk in front of a big crowd in public, that's not my actual personality. That's my modified personality for an audience. This isn't my real personality. This is my modified personality for the purpose of doing the live stream. Right? They're all versions of me, so they're not dishonest because they're the real version of me modified to the, the purpose. But there's no, you know, there's no version as me. But what if AI said, well, I'm gonna, I've got like 10,000 tweets and likes and stuff from this guy. I'll reproduce them based on what I know from Twitter. Be a little dangerous, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't necessarily know that's not me. That is my performance version of me. Yeah. Speaking of the performance version of people, that's a theme we might get to a little bit. But uh, you know, you wonder if uh, and uh, Musk actually blocked OpenAI temporarily, anyway, uh, blocked AI from using Twitter data, which seems like the right move you know a little bit more about the ramifications of that. I like that. And I also like the transparency because Musk told us what it was and what it is and flagged it as a potential problem without any specifics. And if you don't know what the specific problem is, then pausing to find out is exactly the right thing to do. So, good on him. I saw, I saw somebody on the left criticize Musk for trying things and then reversing them. And I think you mentioned three or four things that he tried at Twitter and then quickly reversed, as if that's him doing a bad job. <laughs> how, how, much, how much more wrong could you be about something in public? To imagine that rapidly trying things in software, because it's a software-based company, rapidly trying things, seeing how, they do, how they're accepted, rapidly adjusting, right in front of you, and there's somebody who says that's failing. Like, oh, that's a bad job. You tried these things, and then you reversed them. (laughs) Now, if 100% of everything you tried got reversed, well, then you'd have some kind of a point. But if 9 out of 10 things he tries gets reversed, you do not have a point. (laughs) Because that's the game, is to get 1 out of 10 that works and keep it. And you try 10 things to get 1 that works. That'd be about what I would expect. You know, one out of ten would be a good, pretty good, actually, if you got one out of ten. Um, so, the, the Washington Post is accusing MSNBC of racism for uh, firing one of their uh, black journalists. Is there anything else to say about that story? <laughs> 
And like I could put more words around it, but I feel like that's like the seed of a story. I can just give you the seed, and then it goes to your head, and it blossoms into the whole story. Like I don't, I don't need to add anything, do I? The the left is accusing the left of being racist. I don't know. It's kind of perfect. But you also knew that that's where it had to go, right? One, once your model of the world is that it's groups against groups, all you see is groups. And everything is one group against another. So the left has to eat itself in the long run. That the, the inevitable evolution of the left is it has to eat itself. It has to break into atomized parts and start fighting. The right does not necessarily have that fate. Why? Why does the right have more protection against devolving into a bunch of partisans? It's the Constitution. (laughs) Because whatever you believe, as long as you're pretty serious about the Constitution, eh, you're on my side. And I'm not a conservative, but if if you're real serious about the Constitution, you're on my side. Uh, that's the beginning and the end of my uh, analysis of your value. If you're not on the side of the Constitution, well, you're, you're a risk to me. That's a risk. You, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but it's a risk to me. But if you're on the same side as the Constitution, you and I can live together and I can disagree with you about all kinds of stuff. won't make any difference to me. In fact, I might even enjoy the disagreement. might add to my, you know, the, the, the flavor of my life. But yeah, you're, you're fine with me as long as we agree on the Constitution. Let's see, I wonder if there are any uh, people associated with the right who don't like the Constitution. Because hmm. that would be weird. In fact, if you, were, if you were a political figure on the right and you were anti-Constitution, that would be pretty much the end of you, wouldn't it? Well, next story. Uh, Trump is... Uh, in favor of ignoring the Constitution. So he, uh, he posted on True Social. Um, he said, quote, Do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner, which would be him, of course, in his view, or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles even those found in the Constitution. Trump wrote. And we're done. (laughs) And we're done. And we're done. Now, here's the only way that this could be okay. The only way I could understand this as being okay is if Trump is simply trying to bring some attention to himself by saying the most outrageous thing you could say and getting everybody talking about it. But unfortunately, the left, or fortunately, maybe, the left has decided that he will get no attention, and so is Fox News, and I think Breitbart's sort of on that page now. So uh, Trump's ability to say outrageous things and get attention is really diminished, really diminished. So if it successfully got him all kinds of attention you could actually argue maybe it's working in his favor in a weird kind of way, because he's done that before. That would be a standard play. But does it look like that? Here's what I wonder. 
I'm, I'm watching uh, Elon Musk and also Ye uh, attract all the energy. And I think Trump has left sort of energy, energy poor. There's not enough energy going in his direction. And so he's got a top, Elon Musk, <laughs> the laptop story, and whatever the hell Ye is doing today, to get to get to greater level of outrageousness than our baseline, because the baseline is so outrageous now that getting above that takes a little work. Barry, I'm going to get rid of you just for being an asshole. Just no other reason. You're just an asshole. Goodbye. Um, poor Barry. Barry, we will miss you. No, we won't. We won't miss you, Barry. So, in my opinion, uh, Trump has very little uh, little room to operate because to get more outrageous than what is the baseline, there's just no room left. You have to, you have to go all the way to maybe we should throw out the Constitution. Now, you can't defend Trump after he says maybe you throw out the Constitution. Because that was the setup, right? The setup was, hey, January 6th is about Trump wanting to overthrow the country and be a dictator. To which all of us said, no, that's not what that was. <laughs> that, that's totally not what that was. That was the opposite. That, literally the opposite. He, the protesters wanted to make sure the system worked the way it was designed. And they weren't sure that that was happening. So they asked for a delay to make sure that the Constitution is working the way it was designed. That's all. But the, the left created this trap that said, you know, it really was trying to overthrow the Constitution and the, and the country. And then Trump walks right into the trap by saying, after all of this, after all the fucking energy I wasted explaining that January 6th wasn't what you thought it was, and it's, a, it's an op by the left, and it is, but all that, all that wasted time defending that, you know, the, the, at least the Trump supporters were on the right side. And he just threw them under the bus. Because all of those January 6th supporters are going to be tarred by this opinion. Because the left is going to say, well, Trump just said directly, let's get rid of the Constitution. Right? He said it directly. If it helps him, ignore the Constitution. And now they're going to tar all those fucking you know, well-meaning patriots who really were just trying to make it a better country, and all of them are going to be tarred by this. They should drop him like the hottest rock of all time. <laughs> I, I, I don't see any way he comes back from this. He's just so done. Right? That's my... I, I had one red line. Would you agree? Well, I mean, I wouldn't support somebody who was actually literally racist. I wouldn't do that. That's a red line. But the other red line is... You have to be on the side of the Constitution. Is that asking a lot, to be on the side of the Constitution? Yeah, fentanyl is a single-issue vote. But, you know, I would still allow that somebody's in the contest. But, really? I don't know. Uh, So I think Trump um, is as done as you could possibly be. Which is interesting, because who's left? Now what happens, what happens if Trump is not viable, but nobody primaries him? 
because nobody else is viable because Trump will take them out. It's going to get real interesting. Scott, you did not read the entire quote. I don't need to. I don't need to read the entire quote. If you're saying that the entire quote would soften it or change its meaning, that's irrelevant because the way it will be presented is the way I just presented it. So if you think that I'm ignoring the truth, the truth isn't part of the topic. The, the topic I'm talking about is what will people think and feel about it. The truth is somewhat irrelevant. You know, what was he really thinking or what did he technically say? Not relevant, just not relevant. Because he, he walked into a trap and then he sprung it on himself. What, am I supposed to ignore that? <laughs> Junior Coltrane. Scott is a real Sam Harris. <laughs> in all caps. I can't even tell if you're real or, or a troll. All right. Um, Biden has a, a new tweet with a photo of him in the Oval Office working. And uh, I notice he's got a comic strip that's framed on the table behind him. Now, as you know, I was not a supporter of President Biden. But I was willing to, based on which comic that was. It was a little blurry, but some people did some research. And they determined that the comic was uh, Hagar the Horrible. Hagar the Horrible. I, I was willing to let it go when I found out that Biden was a huge liar all of his career. Said a lot of things about himself that weren't true. I was annoyed when he pushed the find people hoax and, and he was running for office to end the lying by being a huge liar. I was concerned about his dealings with, or, or Hunter's dealings with foreign countries. And I didn't like what he did with inflation and some of his woke policies. But I was willing to, I was willing to maybe overlook some of those things for the unity of the country. But... He has a Hagar the Horrible comic behind his desk. I, I, can't, I can't ignore that. I can't ignore that. Yeah, no, he didn't go full pickles. If he had gone full pickles, which is another comic, uh, that, that would be too far. But Hagar, Hagar, I don't know if I can forgive that. Let's talk about Twitter because... That's what we do every day. So uh, Elon Musk has uh, confirmed something I was speculating about. He said, uh, the more Twitter improves its signal-to-noise ratio, the less relevant conventional news becomes. And they followed up with another tweet. He said, the intelligence of this hive mind, meaning Twitter, <clears throat> will improve significantly as signal-to-noise effective cross-linking of tweets and speed of tweets all improve. So, um, remember I said that the thing you have to be cautious about when you're trying to predict whether Elon Musk will be successful with Twitter is that the thing you have to understand is he's not trying to make it as successful as Twitter 1.0. He's not tweaking Twitter 1.0. He's probably going to create something that does payments replaces all news, you know, becomes the way you communicate instead of texting. 
Uh, it's probably replaces t- uh, TikTok. <clears throat> who, who knows what else it will replace? Yeah, he's thinking big. And so he is literally thinking of replacing uh, the news. But you can't replace the news if Twitter is nothing but partisans battling. So if the only thing that, if the only change that Musk makes is to make sure that all uh, controversial claims are connected to some context that the other side would like you to see, he has beaten the TV and other news business completely because they can't match that. The, the other news entities don't really even try to add context. If he did, and it looks like Twitter's the perfect tool to add context, if he does, there is no reason to read the news anymore. So here's a little, uh, here's a little confirmation for the Musk opinion. My normal routine for the last several years is I get up and I look at CNN and I look at Fox News and follow some other stories in other places. And then I'll also check all the tweets to see what the tweeters are saying about the news. And then I have a good picture to make my comments for the day. Since, since Musk took over, about half of the days that I come on here, I have not checked to CNN or Fox News because Twitter has the news, and then it has all the reactions to the news, and a little bit more more and more is going to have the context that was not in the news. Why would I check the news when I can get the news plus the context plus the comments? The news is already obsolete. I mean, the regular news. Uh, here's a $10 question. Which government intelligence agencies do you think Epstein worked for? Um, well, I don't think it was necessarily our government. <laughs> Do you assume Epstein worked for our government exclusively? I, I would imagine he had some connections to a variety of high-level people in more than one country. Right. So I, I don't assume it's some American-only situation. All right, uh, here's the most important thing you need to know about uh, uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter. You know the movie The, the Matrix? And the, the star of The Matrix, the character was Neo. N-E-O, Neo. So when Neo entered The Matrix, uh, what you should know is that was completely different than Elon entering Twitter. Because when Neo entered The Matrix, uh, Neo has only 75% of the letters that are also in the word Elon. Um, so that's a pretty big difference. That's like a 25% difference in their names. Uh, everything else is roughly the same as Neo entering the Matrix because both Twitter and the Matrix have the same purpose. The purpose of Twitter is to create an artificial reality such that you don't know what you're, the real reality is you're living in. <clears throat> that's literally the, the Matrix movie. The Matrix movie is that you believe you're in one reality, but the matrix holds you in another. That's literally what, what Twitter is doing. <laughs> literally, they're doing that. Now, usually I make fun of people comparing things to a movie, but this is not comparing to. This is same as, right? I mean, not actually uh, connected by tubes and living in a, in a vat, but we might be. We might be. For all we know. 
All right, here's the other funny uh, Twitter-related thing. I, you know, Musk has got to be the best tweeter since Trump, and maybe he's even better. But look at how he handled this situation with a tweet. And the tweet comes from Elon Musk's ex-wife, Justine Musk. And Justine Musk, on December 2nd, tweeted, So, uh, I would like to note that she began her tweet with the word, So. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder what the rest of the tweet will be. Will it be insightful analysis? Hmm. What comes after the word, So. Uh, good facts and logic? I know, let's read on. Let's read on and find out if we can guess what comes after the word so. Does anybody want to take a guess? If you, I'd like to test your intelligence here. <clears throat> uh, do you know what comes after the word so? Oh, yes, ridiculous straw man. A, a version of reality that nobody holds so that you can insult it. I wonder if that will, ha- will come after the word so. Well, let me read on and find out. So, let me get this straight. I'm going to give you another quiz. What follows the phrase, let me get this straight? Go. What follows, let me get this straight? Would it be getting it straight? Or would it be intentionally distorting it into something that is definitely the opposite of getting it straight? Which one do you predict? Because you're smart. Look at you go. Look at you go. Well, you know, just when I think there's a limit to your intelligence, you surpass it again. I am amazed. I don't even need to give you the news anymore, do I? I could just come here and you tell me the news without even knowing what it is. That's how good you are. All right, let me try it again. Uh, You think I can't do this? Uh, You fill in the blank. The Pope had a comment about Ukraine. What is it? Go. What, what, What will the Pope say about Ukraine? This hasn't happened lately. He is against violence. He's in favor of peace. You're like geniuses. You are freaking geniuses. Wow. (laughs) You know the news before it happens. All right, let me ask you another. Uh, There's a gigantic blockbuster story in which everything the left has been doing for years has been uncovered, and now their shame and embarrassment will eat them alive as all of their supporters and followers find out about this blockbuster laptop from hell being suppressed story on Twitter. Okay. What, what happens next? What happens next? How did you know? How did you guess this? How did you guess that the story would be so completely suppressed that it would be as if it never happened? How did you know that the only people that would hear the blockbuster story are the people who already fucking knew it was true? And not a single other person will hear it unless it's paired with some bullshit explanation of why it's not really what you think it is. Well, you guessed pretty good. As it turns out, the New York Times ignored it, Washington Post ignored it, CNN ignored it, (laughs) I think MSNBC ignored it. The entire left closed ranks and disappeared the story. 
exactly like you fucking thought they would. Now, what happens to my YouTube feed? Here I am on YouTube, this big channel. Do you think YouTube is letting this go out to all the people who need to hear it? I would be highly doubtful that my YouTube feed is completely non-suppressed and that like it's, it's being treated like every other feed. Maybe. I mean, anything's possible. But everything we know about everything suggests that this is being suppressed right now. Would you agree? How many of you would say, yeah, you're definitely being suppressed? There's no question about it. Yeah, you're geniuses. Every one of you are geniuses. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So here's what uh, Justine continues to say. She said, so let me get this straight. We are now supposed to step into the, quote, marketplace of ideas to to debate plus discuss if Hitler behaved poorly or if women should be, quote, raped and locked in cages. Because these are conversations the culture needs to be having. So what would Justine Musk's ex-husband, Elon Musk, how would he reply to a, a, a tweet like that? Well, the way he did reply was with one emoji. And I'll try to do the emoji face so you can see it. If it... If you're, if you're listening to this and not watching, I just did a clever and humorous impression of an emoji with a wrinkled-up uh, mouth expression, as in, what the fuck? <laughs> if there were a caption to that emoji, it would be, what the fuck? <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. Any, any word he had added to that emoji would have decreased... You know, the impact or the, or the perfection of it. It was just perfect. Yeah, I think it was smirking face. It's just like, well, what, what do you say to that? <laughs> There's literally no comment about it that could have helped. It was just, it, it just has to sit there on its own. Just, it is what it is. But with one emoji, uh, Elon Musk described his entire marriage experience in ways which every man completely understood. (laughs) Uh, Message received, got it. Expanding now in my mind from one emoji to... Oh, oh, this is a good... Wow. Now continue to expand to explain the entire marital dynamic ending in divorce. Got it. Got it. So that's... Nobody's ever said more with one emoji. Like, you could piece together their entire history. <laughs> and, and, and can you imagine their arguments in person? <laughs> Come on, just, just hold it in your head. Just imagine that he had to hear that every day. <laughs> How many days in a row do you have to listen to that before you, before you say, I think marriage isn't for me, I'm just going to knock up a bunch of women and have kids. I, I don't think this marriage thing... You know, by design, I don't think it's a good system. It's not well-engineered. Imagine being the most storied engineer in American history, although he's technically even not an engineer. He just happens to be the best one. Uh, imagine being the storied engineer in 
That's the system that you have to put yourself into. Do you think, he, do you think Elon Musk looks at the institution and system of marriage and says to himself, now that's a good system. If I were going to engineer a system for society, it would look just like that. No, I don't think so. Um, it's, it's just a, Is your mind blown away by the fact that the New York Times didn't cover the Twitter expose? Like, what does that do to your head? I mean, it does tell you everything you suspected was true, not just about this, right? I mean, it's such a strong signal that literally everything you suspected was true about everything, just about everything. It was all true in some, in some form. Um, so every time the uh, conservatives have this uh, I got you this time feeling, what always happens? Uh, have you know, we've been through this before, right? Ah, uh, we got you this time. Now that the truth has come out, Watch what happens when the people on the left learn the truth. It never happens, does it? <laughs> like there's, there's just, it just bounces off. And I was, I was looking at, you know, how will the Democrats try to put a little uh, illusion wall around this to protect themselves? And I saw this uh, tweet by, was it David Korn? Um, oh, Yeah. So he tweeted at Elon before the expose came out. He said, uh, in preparation, uh, please read my original piece on the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, according to Korn, the big issue, all right, so ignore all the smaller issues because that, that's not really what's going on. Here's the big issue because you don't want to be left on this little issue about maybe Democrats are getting people kicked off of Twitter and using it to affect the light. That's the small stuff. So don't get lost in the weeds. Because here's the big story. I don't know if you noticed, but the Hunter laptop, the big story, as Korn tells us, uh, the big issue was that the New York Post and Giuliani used the existence of the laptop and iffy materials on it to advance Russian disinformation concocted to hurt Biden and help Trump. As of a few days ago, a prominent Democrat was pushing that the laptop was not Russian disinformation, but supportive of. Oh, my God. Pretzel time. Pretzel time. No, no, it wasn't Russian disinformation. Did anybody tell you that? No, it was information that supported the disinformation of the the Russians, and that disinformation I will not specify because there are no real examples to prove my point, but I'd like to throw Russian disinformation into it to confuse it so that my dumb Democrats who read this will think, well, maybe that Republican story was wrong, because there's something about still Russian disinformation in it. And by the way, wasn't Manafort proof that Russian collusion happened? It's the Manafort play. It's the fucking Manafort play. Oh, did you say that uh, Trump was cleared of Russian collusion? Ha, ha, ha. Obviously, the opposite happened, because Manafort, who is not Trump... uh, was guilty of a Russia-related crime. 
that wasn't specifically related to the main accusations. Yeah. So good try on that. And then, uh, have you seen the latest narrative? So all the left pundits got the memo. And it's always funny when the people who realize that they're all using the same talking points when they do the little compilation. So you can see that they're all little you know, talking heads that say the same thing. So the new talking point is that uh, people who are tweeting about the Twitter revelations are doing, quote, PR for one of the richest men in the world. So apparently they did some research and they decided that um, since Democrats don't like rich people, that you could just uh, you could just dismiss Musk for being a rich person, and that why should anybody be doing PR for a rich person? And and that's that's what they have. And there are a whole bunch of tweets that have the exact wording, PR for one of the richest men in the world. They don't just they don't say it a different way. They actually use the exact sentence. Lots and lots of people. So I wonder. I wonder, you know, when that gets put out. You know, where do they all get that? They all get it from the same source, right? Are they copying each other, or do they actually, do they literally have a talking points memo? They do, don't they? Isn't there literally a talking point memo of some sort that they know where to look for? I think so. All right. Um... So Michael uh, Tracy tweets about, uh, so uh, Noel, is it Noel Yoth or Yoel Noth or whatever it was. So the guy who was in charge of uh, Twitter's executive who was in charge of, I guess, banning people and other things, um, he had a public event and he said that the decision to ban Trump after January 6th was impelled in part by the uh, trauma that he and other content moderators were experiencing. <laughs> so there's some, there's some confession. Yoel Roth, thank you. There's some confession <clears throat> that it wasn't purely a free speech or even a financial decision. <laughs> it was how they felt. <laughs> it was literally how they felt. Now, it wasn't the only factor. I think you know, Michael Tracy might be you know, uh, giving it a little more attention than it deserves. It wasn't the only factor. But, but the fact that how they felt was any part of the decision is, repeat it after me, exactly what you fucking thought it was. <laughs> it's exactly what you suspected. Uh, have we all just turned into geniuses or... Or are people just doing exactly what you expect all the time now? Like nobody does anything except exactly what you expected. It's like that. that's all there is. Has anybody done anything unexpected in a while? Well, yes. There is somebody doing something unexpected. <laughs> Do you think I'll be talking about that person? Well, maybe. Maybe. You know, I think the problem with uh, the Twitter content people is that they believe their own propaganda. Don't you, don't you think the biggest problem that the left has with mental health is that they literally believe themselves? And I don't even know how many people who say things on the left, you know, the notable people who are creating the narrative, I have no idea how much they believe of their own narrative. But I know the people who consume their narrative buy into it. And... 
you'd have to think it would give you mental health problems, wouldn't you? Because think about the narrative that the left is given, and then the, all the counterfactuals or the, you know, the, the observed things that debunk their, their, their view. And somehow they can incorporate all the counterfactuals and still go on. It's like serious you know, implied, or it's sort of a, an imposed mental illness. It's like a mental illness that's imposed on them from the outside by the narratives. I wonder if you could have narrative poisoning. Yeah, I think I'm going to invent a term. Narrative poisoning. If the narrative, which is not true, causes you to have a physical reaction which is true, then you have narrative poisoning. Right? Narrative poisoning. Is it, which is different from just believing something that's not true. <clears throat> believing something that's not true is sort of you know, daily life. We're, we're all believing stuff that's not true. But if you buy into a narrative and it makes you sick, you have narrative poisoning. You don't have, you don't, you're not sick because of reality, because that's not what a narrative is. Narrative poisoning. So I think that the Twitter executives actually had narrative poisoning, and they were, they were acting out um, partly on mental health issues. Let me, let me now uh, excuse the behavior of all the Twitter professionals. They were, they were operating on a PTSD, which they gave themselves. It was self-induced PTSD. They had narrative poisoning, TDS, and they acted on their mental health. They acted to reduce their mental health problems. They used Twitter like it was a pharmaceutical drug, that if they tweaked it just right, they could reduce their mental health issues. And so they did. So they did. How much do you love that? They use Twitter like a pharmaceutical to improve their mental health. That actually happened, right? There's nothing about that sentence that is hyperbole. That actually, literally, observably happened. They've admitted they had mental distress, they told you what they did about it, and, and in, an, in an analogy sense, they used Twitter to cure their mental distress like you would use a pharmaceutical. And it had, uh, it had side effects. <laughs> and the side effects were unexpected. All right. <clears throat> Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, who's also an interesting follow on Twitter, I recommend it, um, he said today, and this, this was, uh, I'm going to disagree with him a little bit here, but uh, this was a good contribution to the conversation. He said, people are blaming uh, Ye's behavior on his bipolar diagnosis. I'd like to point out that when you see histrionic and antagonist, antagonistic antisocial behaviors, they are much better predicted by narcissistic personality disorder than bipolar disorder. See here for the correlation matrix. And... No pun intended. He shows a matrix. <laughs> of course, it has to be a matrix of uh, um, different, I don't know, different behaviors and what it means, you know, and they correlate, etc. And if you see a chart, a matrix of mental, let's say mental illness, 
in two, in 2022, what do you what do you think about it? It just all looks like astrology. When I see a complicated medical scientific chart, my immediate point is that it's not immediate impression is well that's not true. It's just bullshit. And it doesn't even matter what the topic is. <laughs> like it could have been, you know, any any part of mental or physical health. If I'd seen the, that complicated chart, I would have just assumed it wasn't true. So that's where we are now. We're at the point where anything medical medical experts say, and they put a big scientific chart with data, I just say, well, that's probably not true. I'm not going to ignore it, because you know when experts say something, you don't want to ignore it. it. Might be true, but the credibility is you know, below zero. Now. Do you think that the mental health um, community, the, the experts, do you think they can tell the difference between these various diagnoses? Do you, do you think that they, if, if you had 10 mental health professionals and they all diagnosed EA, do you think they'd all agree? No, they would not. They would not agree. Do you know why? Because it's not a science. <laughs> it's not even close. It's complete bullshit. It's a, it's a pharma industry created thing that's sort of trying to look like science, but mostly is bullshit and scams and liars and bad ideas. Yeah. So now, just to be clear, I'm sure there are some valuable elements of the mental health profession. I'm sure of it. But do you think I could figure out which ones are the real ones and which ones are the complete bullshit? Of course not, because I have no ability to do that. Do you know who else can't do that? The people in the industry. Because if they could tell what was bullshit in their own industry, they'd all have the same opinion. But they can't. That's why they have different opinions. And if the experts in their own industry can't tell what's real and what isn't, why should you believe them? Let's say you go to a financial expert. Financial expert says, Here that, here's how you should invest. You say, thank you. Good information. I'm going to get a second opinion, though. So you go to a second financial expert, and they say, do something different. You go, hmm, two different opinions. Okay, I better check with another one. Let's say you check with a bunch of financial people, and you get, you get advice that's on both directions. Some say sell your stock. Some say hold your stock. Some say get on the stocks and do something different. What would your conclusion be? Would your conclusion be that experts know more than you do and, and you should follow their advice because their advice was different? What you should conclude is that the experts don't know any more than you do about what a stock is going to do in the future, which is true. That's been well demonstrated. So when the experts don't agree your conclusion should be it's not really a science. It's not really... It's just a scam industry. The financial advice industry is a complete scam industry that for whatever reason... Well, not whatever reason, because everybody who treats it like it's real gets a lot of money for doing it, right? The, the TV shows that have... Are the Yeah, mostly the news. But the, the shows that have um, commercials from financial institutions... That would be the same as like hair growth solutions. It's shit that they know isn't real. Right? You don't think that the experts on CNBC know that the experts they have on don't know anything? Of course they know that. 
Do you know why the experts on CNBC know that the experts they have on don't have useful information? Because that's what every expert knows. <laughs> the one thing every expert knows correctly is that none of the experts can predict. Some will be right, but that's because everybody's predicting different things. Of course some will be right. Then later they'll say, well, look, I was right. for I was the best predictor for three years, so let me handle your money. You think they'll be the best predictor for the next three years? Usually not. Usually not, because it's chance. Right? So the mental health professionals, to me, look a lot like financial professionals, which is, I'll bet if you were, a fi- if you were yourself a mental health professional, you would think that your own... Uh, your own industry was bullshit. Prove me wrong. Find somebody who works currently in that industry and have a private conversation with them. Because I did that with somebody in the financial advice industry, and they told me flat out. Now, the advice I give my clients I would never use for myself. Flat out. No, not even shaded a little bit. No, it's, it's basically a fake industry. All right, um, uh, I know you don't want me to, but there's something we need to say about yay. Can you handle it? A little, little bit? All right, let me give you a little uh, walk in the park of the history of yay. And I want to see if, if you can put all of these little pieces together into anything that feels like a pattern. See if you can find the pattern, okay? So you remember when uh, Ye interrupted Taylor Swift's uh, award-winning thing and he got up there and instead of letting the award ceremony progress in its normal way, he got up there and said, probably the main thing you should not say in that situation, <laughs> which is somebody else should have won this award. Would you agree that whatever else it was, and you'll have lots of descriptions of how bad it was, would you agree that he shouldn't have said it? Can you all give me that? It was something that very specifically you should not have said, even if you believed it, you shouldn't say it out loud in public. Yeah. So that happened. Do you know what uh, Ye was criticized for when he was just doing music? Do you remember what the biggest criticism of Ye was when he was just the artist doing music? Anybody remember? Because it's weird that you forgot. His songs were insanely misogynistic, said his critics. Insanely misogynistic. Now, who thinks that in the last 20 years you could be a, a public personality and talk shit about women and you could get away with it. So he said, a lot of the stuff you're not supposed to say about women, right? So he did that. And, and really, like, who, who goes after women like, and just insults them and makes money on it? Well, rappers. So he comes from a world in which saying the thing you're not supposed to say is exactly your job, right? Do you think rappers say what is socially acceptable? I feel like the essence of rap is saying things that would be uncomfortable for the people in charge. <laughs> things about, you know, 
women, things about their feelings about police, maybe um, praising bad behavior, illegal behavior, that sort of thing. So rap, by its nature, is artists who are saying the most dangerous things that you're specifically not supposed to say. So that's part of the context. Well, let's move on. Do you remember? Of course you do. When Ye said he likes Trump. Wasn't that the one thing that a black man couldn't say in public at the time without huge consequences? It was. It was like the most dangerous thing a black man could say. And he said it over and over again. Do you remember when uh, Ye went on... Uh, um, I forget which show. You'll tell me which show because I'm blanking. And he said that uh, slavery, the history of slavery, he said there were so many more slaves than there were masters at the time. He said that slavery looks like a choice. Remember what happened when he said slavery looks like a choice? He basically insulted all of black America and much of white America and everybody else who might be supportive. And he said the worst thing you could say about black America. Like, I don't think you could have said a worse thing about black Americans. And did he say, I'm only talking about some black people, when, when he said that? When, when he was being misogynistic, did he say, whoa, 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 hold on, no. I'm not talking about women. I'm not talking about bitches, you know, to use his word. I'm talking about some individual women who have behaviors I don't like. Did he ever clarify that? I don't, I don't think so. When he talked about black people must have been a choice to slavery, did he say some of those black people must have treated it like a choice? He didn't. He, didn't. he treated it like black people or like a group that act together. Very offensive, wouldn't you say? Very offensive. Yeah. It was the worst thing you could say in that situation. Um, when Ye made a turn toward being super religious, and suddenly he wasn't that, that edgy rapper, he was the super religious guy, did it ever occur to you that that was like the most dangerous thing that Ye could do? The, one of the most dangerous things you could have done, say, two years ago, was to come out as super uh, Christian and conservative, family conservative religious. It was just about the most dangerous thing you could say in public if you think about it, right? Especially from where he was coming from. Most dangerous thing you could say. Uh, when he wore the uh, White Lives Matter shirt with Candace Owens, wasn't that the worst thing you could say in public about that time? It was the most controversial worst thing you could say. Yeah. Now, did he say that um, some White Lives Matter and some do not? I don't remember. I think he, he treated white people like they were like one unit. But we're not, right? We're not one unit. There must be some white people that don't matter, <laughs> you know, like serial killers and stuff. But yet he treated us all like we're just one unit. Very unfair. So he's treated women as if they're like one thing. Very offensive. Treated... Um, he treated uh, white people like one unit. He treated black people like they're one group. Um, and then he got to uh, the Jews are trying to stop him from being successful. 
Wow. Third rail. It's the worst thing you can say in public and expect to get away with it. Right? Worst thing you can say. And he treated all Jews like it's like one group of people, when in fact we knew that just some specific individuals he had a problem with. Very unacceptable, treating an entire group as if they're one thing. And then he took it up a level. He said, uh, I see good things about Hitler. Well, that's something you can't say. What is the worst thing you could say, the one thing nobody can say in public? Hitler has some good sides. You can't say that. It's the thing you can't say, even with free speech, you can't say that. And then he teamed up with uh, Nick Fuentes and said, you know, Nick's great. Oh, you can't do that. You cannot do that. And they started to work with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. You can't do that. That No, no. You cannot say there's anything good with Milo because if you do, it would feel like you're supporting pedophiles, wouldn't it? Even though Milo is not um, accused of pedophilia, he is accused of something that has a different word but people confuse with pedophilia. So I think he was talking about older... Older teens, which technically is not pedo, but everybody sees it that way. Right? So I'm not, I'm not making that distinction. I'm saying that Ye would know that people won't make that distinction. So associating with Milo put him in that sort of little supportive of a pedophile. Do you know what you can't say? You can never say anything, anything that's even slightly supportive of a pedophile. So what do you say about Balenciaga when they were accused of being a pedophile organization? He defended them. Not the specific photo shoot, but he defended the company that is not defending itself from pedophilia. They're not defending themselves. Let me say it again. Balenciaga never said how the photo shoot happened and therefore explained why they're not really guilty. They never did. But Ye defended the group that is accused of being pedophile-friendly. Do you know what you can't do? You can't do that. But he did it. Here's the pattern. Have you picked it up yet? Do you see the pattern? And then another hint came when I watched some more of the uh, behind-the-scenes of Ye's visit to uh, Alex Jones. And you see Nick Fuentes defending Ye's uh, treatment of, quote, the Jews as, like, one group of people he has trouble with. And here's what Fuentes said. We're okay treating every other group as one group. To which I said, hey, ah, that's so wrong in ways I can't quite articulate. No, no, Nick Fuentes, you fucking racist. You... But your examples are pretty good. But that's wrong. That's so wrong. Except, makes you think, doesn't it? (laughs) Makes you think. Now, if anybody is new to my live stream, I don't like Hitler completely. Like, I, I hate his fucking little mustache. 
I ate the lint in his fucking pocket. He's all bad. Because I know what to say in public. Right? It's not hard. Now, here's, here's the question that's going to blow your fucking head off. You ready? You ready for this? Let's accept that uh, Ye has some uh, mental conditions. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's uh, you know, bipolar, maybe something else. Do you think that any of the mental conditions that Ye is accused of would make him incapable of knowing what things to say to make him popular with the public and what things to say that would make him very unpopular with the public? Do you think he can't tell the difference? between saying the right thing and saying the thing that will absolutely get you in trouble. Do you think he can't tell the difference? <clears throat> Somebody says yes, that, it, that if it's mania, if he's in the mania phase, he can't tell the difference. I would think the mania phase means he's not afraid of uh, consequences. I don't think it makes you unable to see what's right in front of you. So here's my take. It seems deeply unlikely that he was surprised by any of the reactions to any of the things I mentioned. Do you think he was surprised by any of it? No. Do you think he would know exactly what to say and do if he wanted to get back into the good graces of the public? Of course. Of course. We all do. It's It's not like it's a hard question. It would be the easiest question in the world. Just say you didn't mean any of those things, apologize for it, you know, do some good works for people you might have hurt, that sort of thing. Now, what about the, uh, the perfectly valid complaint from the Jewish community that Ye's rhetoric puts an extra risk on Jews? True or false? The way Ye talks makes them feel uncomfortable and adds some extra risk to their life. True. True. Absolutely true. Now, let's, let's go full Nick Fuentes and compare that to everybody else talking about anything. Do you think that the way the Democrats talk about me puts me at greater risk of literally being killed? Yes or no? Is the way they talk about me on social media every day put me at risk of physical danger? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Have you ever seen me say that uh, they need to stop doing that because it's putting me in physical danger? Have I ever said that? You need to stop using your free speech because it puts me in physical danger. I've noted that it does. I've noted that it does. But that's different than saying they need to stop it. Right? Not once. No. Um, when, uh, when Ye said white lives matter... Was he putting himself at greater physical risk? Of course he was. Of course he was. And also the people who supported him. Did he put Candace Owens at greater physical risk by you know, associating her with that message? Yes. Yes. I mean, she already puts herself at great risk. By the way, Candace Owens is one of the bravest people you know, in the public realm. Like, she's brave. Like, You've got you to gotta give her that. Um, So look at the big picture. Number one, how many of you saw the -the behind-the-scenes video of Ye preparing his little mask uh, and his routine for 
Alex Jones. If you watched him preparing for it, you saw somebody who did not look crazy at all. And as he was talking about wearing the mask, he was completely aware that that would make it impossible to ignore. He, he went full rock star, full Trump, and he said, all right, if you're going to cut me off from social media, I will become impossible to ignore, and then I'm going to go on there and say the most outrageous thing anybody ever said, and let's, let's see what happens. Here's another clue. Uh, Ali Alexander, who's also associated now with, with Ye, um, he said on that video specifically that they were uh, breaking the Overton window. Uh, I may be saying it wrong. But the Overton window is basically the idea that you could keep your, um, your critics or your enemies in a state of continuous spinning if you keep doing one more outrageous thing after another. They can't settle on the last outrageous thing. They have to keep up with you. So it's sort of what Trump did. All of his individual uh, you know, statements that could have ended anybody else didn't end Trump because he was already on to the next statement. And that was controversial too. And then the next one. Right? So now that you know the following things that maybe you didn't put together. Number one... Kanye and his group are specifically and overtly talking about the Overton window. Everything they're doing supports that theory of operation. There's no way I could possibly believe that Ye was not completely aware of all of the reactions he would get from beginning to end. Everybody would know the reaction, everybody. Here's what I think he's up to. And he might pull it off. I don't know. Now, and, and again, if you're, not, if you're new to my live stream, uh, I'm not supporting Ye. And I said this yesterday, I think. Ye is making himself unlikable, and I accept that. So I don't like him. Right? I would like him if he said nice things about the Jewish community. I would like him more. I would like him if he were, you know, said things that I could embrace without being embarrassed. I'd like that. That'd be cool. But uh, here's what I think he's up to. I think he's breaking your brain. And he's getting very close to succeeding. Because you, you, you can't tell where that breaking point is, because he's, he's bending us, and we're bending and bending and bending. It's not until you see the whole portfolio of what he's done in the last few years that you see he is intentionally finding the most challenging thing you could hold in your mind and then making you deal with it. Now, I've said before that Ye is not somebody who just creates art. He is living art. Everything he does pushes, pushes or challenges you to reconsider the way you were thinking of things. Right? Everything we're watching is a challenge to the old way you were thinking. From, from the very beginning of what is an award show, right? The, mo- the most basic thing that nobody would question is, what is an award show? Well, it's where somebody gets an award and they say thank you and everybody claps. And then Ye said, how about this is an award show? How about not? How about I go up there and make it a different show? And then he did. <laughs> so if you look at the whole portfolio, it looks a lot less crazy and it looks like an artist 
who is breaking all of our expectations about what artists can do, who can say what, and he has broken maybe the most important uh, barrier that we have for getting together, which is we're not allowed to say what we think. We're not allowed to say what we think, and until we're allowed to say what we think, we'll never come together. The country can never come together if we can't talk and say what we actually think, right? as bad as it is, because right? lots of times we think pretty ugly things. Yay is just breaking all of the rules. He's just showing you you can say everything you want to say as long as you're willing to pay for it with everything. <laughs> now, let's double back to something that you really don't see coming. You ready for this? When Ye said that uh, there were so many more slaves than white people who were trying to control them back in slavery, he said that it looked like a choice. And then all historians, and especially black historians, said, whoa, 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 whoa. That was no fucking choice. You know, the, the group that had the weapons would have just, you know, slaughtered us. Right? Here's what I think Ye would have said. Just speculating based on all, everything that he's done so far. I think he'd say, right. How, how does that affect my point? Right, they would have slaughtered him. And they also probably would have ended up winning. They might have lost 90% of their numbers, but they could have ended up winning because they had the numbers. You know, they, they just had to attack where the weapons were and get the weapons and then, you know. So if you ask me... Ye's original controversial point that the slaves could have rebelled if they wanted to badly enough, he basically proved by destroying his own career to win back freedom of speech for himself. He basically demonstrated what he thought the slaves at the time should have done, which is risk everything for their freedom. And reasonable people said, no, you don't risk it everything for your freedom, you risk what makes sense. And the A was saying, no, for freedom, you'd risk everything. And so when it came to his own freedom in the United States, can he say whatever he wants to say, no matter how ugly it is? Can a man who feels, and this is his own feeling, this is not my interpretation, can a man who feels that some identifiable group seems to be ganging up on him, can he say it? Does he have the right to be wrong? Does he have the right to say something that could put people at risk? He's fighting for that right. And what he traded for that right was everything. He traded everything for it. Now, if you don't think this is one of the greatest shows you've ever seen, you're not seeing the pattern. If you look at any individual thing he, he says... We're supposed to be outraged by it. You're part of the performance. Right? You're not an observer. You're part of the performance. Your outrage is part of the act. So when he says Hitler has some good things about him, I say, God damn you, yay. God damn you. I'm sorry. I don't want to use the Lord's name in vain. I know some of you get triggered by that, and I didn't mean to do it. So... I don't support him. 
because that's his message. <laughs> his message to me is don't support me, right? Because he basically said things I can't agree with and I'm not going to agree with. So I don't support him. But watching, watching this play out is fucking amazing. Now, you want some more um, mind benders? I got more. Do you think he can make his money back? Do you think he could ever make his money back? Well, one of his projects, which is still live, unless something's changed recently, is, you know, he had intended to build uh, communities that were designed communities so they'd be better places to live. And it would solve, you know, a number of problems that our current social situation doesn't solve. Now, uh, he's only been messing around with prototypes. But you know the size of that market is bigger than all the things he's ever done. Right? The potential size of that is, is basically Elon Musk-sized opportunity. And nobody's, nobody's really competing. Because other people who want to build homes are just going to be home builders and they would build something boring that didn't move your soul. Yay, potentially, potentially, could bring what he's brought to other fields to the housing field and make you excited about it. And then suddenly, every community he builds or license, he makes $100 million. <laughs> and, you know, $100 million here, $100 million there, it adds up over time. You know, he could be the richest man in America in 20 years. And it's because he's entered the market that would allow that to happen, and he's the right person for it. He's the right person for the market. So, here's the other possibility. You know that, in my opinion, Trump has become um, not viable. Is there any way that Ye could come back from all of this? Could he come back from the things he said? Could he get back into the public good graces? Nobody else could, but he could. (laughs) He could, yep. Now, I'm not going to predict that he will. I'm just going to say I look at his talent stack, and I look at what what you would call his mental illness or whatever's going on there, and I don't see that's going to stop him. It doesn't look like that would stop him. He knows exactly what it would take. Right? Don't you think he knows what it would take? Because he knew exactly what would get him in trouble. You don't think there was any surprise about that? He knew exactly what he was doing. You don't think he knows exactly how to get out of it? Let me tell you how. Do you think I could model it? Do you think I could give you a thing he could say that would just totally get him out of, the, out of trouble? I think he could. Here's me modeling it. You know, um, I think that my comments about the Jews were out of place, and I was acting on my feelings at the time. However, the bigger issue is can people say what they feel when they feel it and still survive in this country? Because we can't have a country if I can't say something out of anger and still have a job. And I'd like that for you as well. I want us all to live in a country where we can say what we want to say and we'll figure out a way to be okay with it. 
we shouldn't be doing things that make it too dangerous for other people, but be aware that all speech comes with a little bit of danger. Right? It's, it's built into free speech. You can't make it go away. You, you've watched me say every possible thing that you're not supposed to say, and so far I'm still alive. Free speech won't kill you. I just proved it. Now, can we stop saying bad things about each other as a group? Can you join me and let's not treat black people like they're one group or white people like they're one group or Jews like they're one group or Christians like they're one group? Can we just stop doing it? Because I'll go first. I'll go first. Now, if he said that and you said to yourself, ah, he actually sounds like he means it. He actually, I, I could hear his actual regret in the way he phrased it. He's giving us a reason why it happened. He was upset about his situation. He's, he's told you what he's going to do to correct it. And then he, he tried to bring you to a, a higher ground where we all don't have that problem and we don't have that kind of problem with each other. And we figure out how to talk while being a little bit offensive because that's just how talking works. Now, you don't think he could sell that? Again, I'm not predicting he will try to do anything like that because he's hard to predict, right? You can't really predict him. If you could predict him, he wouldn't be A. But he could. Now, when I said that, did you say to myself, oh, my God, that will never work? Nobody would ever accept that? Uh, Have you ever heard the... uh, Well... There's a couple of analogies that come to mind. Um, if, if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know, or any retail, you know that the following thing is true. The best way to get a repeat customer is ha- have a bad experience for your customer, and then they complain, and then you fix it. If, for example, you go to a restaurant and something was wrong and they comp you the meal, your odds of eating there again are pretty high. You know, if it's a good restaurant, you just had one little issue, right? So, yeah. Um, we do have a soft spot as humans for people who admit their mistake and try to fix it. In fact, that's some of our favorite people. Uh, a lot of movies and books are about somebody who is flawed, and in the process of the movie, they redeem themselves. Right? The, the redemption story is one of our strongest most built-in, you know, narratives that run our, run our lives. So if he could turn into the reformed person who becomes the, the story of who you don't want to be or becomes the, the reason that we should, you know, value free speech or, or something like that, you, you could imagine he could make it work. You could imagine. Does it blow your mind that he's a black man who says uh, white lives matter and he's working with uh, Nick Fuentes and Milo? Doesn't it look like he chose, he chose his group to be the most offensive group he possibly could? And Ali Alexander was one of the organizers of the January 6th event. He's not charged with anything because he didn't do anything illegal. Um, but still, his name is associated with that, right? Doesn't it look like he intentionally chose the least um, publicly acceptable people 
Well, here's the weird thing. They're not all the same person. So he's got, you know, a person of color, a person who's gay, a person who's, you know, the, the most extreme right-wing person. I mean, he's, he's really got a little pirate... Yeah, it's a pirate ship. He's a little pirate ship. Do you know what makes people comfortable? People get comfortable when they see that you're the captain of a pirate ship. Because they go, well, he's not going to kick me out for being weird because I'm just a pirate. Like, all the pirates are different. One has one leg, one has one leg. But we're all just pirates. You know, the, the, the pirate ship um, metaphor or analogy, I forget which, it would be a good way to bring the country together, wouldn't it? You know, instead of saying you're a bad pirate and I'm a good pirate, how about just saying, you know, we're all kind of pirates, but we're on the same ship. That's what I liked about Trump. Uh, you know, of course, his critics said, oh, you're a big racist. But he had no problem hanging out with literally anybody. Right? If you look at the people Trump has personally associated with, it was everybody. And no limits at all. I love that. Uh, the, the people I'm worried about is people hanging around with people who look like them. And I'm not comfortable with that. What is One Piece? I don't know what that is. Uh, are you giving him the benefit... Talk about Ye. Am I giving Ye the benefit of a doubt and assuming his attentions are good? Uh, yes. Yes, I am doing that explicitly. I'm assuming that Ye's intentions are good. Because I also believe that his religious faith is real. Does anybody doubt his religious faith? That's a lot of work. I mean, if that's a, if that's a trick, it's a lot of work to put into a trick. No, I think, he's, I think he's completely sincere about the religion stuff. Which suggests he's sincere about creating a better world. He's just doing it in a way that we've never seen anybody do anything. Unless you think Trump did. All right. Um, Now, is there any way that I can say what I've said without getting smeared by the left? I think they'll probably drag me now, won't they? Do you think I'll get dragged by this afternoon? Because I think the media is desperately looking for somebody who makes a mistake of defending Ye, right? Like the classic trap is the first person who, who looks like they're defending him is going to get dragged in so that you know not to defend him. That's how it's played. Now, I don't know if I can, uh, if I can avoid that by saying I dislike him because he is going out of his way to make all of us dislike him. So I accept, I accept his message. All right. Uh, yeah, the locals is our pirate ship. Chew that. Scott, your struggles are unsurcomp. Okay. Um, my comp? <laughs> oh, my struggle. I got it. Got it. It took me a while to put that together. Um, he's trying to destroy his brand? I don't know. I mean, he's already done that. Uh, something wrong. There's an article already about me. Is there already a hit piece on me yet? Has anybody seen a hit piece on me yet? 
probably. There, there should be one by the end of today. That would be the normal thing. But I think they'll probably just keep Ye out of the news. Now, here's, here's the other possibility. Do you think Ye would run as a Democrat or a Republican? Because he hasn't said, right? What do you think? I feel like he's going to have to start his own party, isn't he? Because he already said he's the birthday party or something. Yeah, he's the birthday party. I don't know what you have to do to officially be a new political party, but but uh, who would Ye take more votes away from? Democrats or Republicans? Who would Ye take more votes away from? You think he could, could get black votes? After he said white lives matter? I think you're right. <laughs> I, think he, I think he could pull more away from the Democrats, which would make him the Joe Manchin of presidential candidates. In other words, Joe Manchin, just by being the one person, or one of two, who can go back and forth on an issue, gets to decide all our legislation. So maybe yay could run for office and know that his, his involvement would change the, the result... What do you think the Democrats would be willing to offer him to stop running? <laughs> they might fund his yay community <laughs> just to get him out of the race. I don't know. Could be interesting. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is all I have for now for the public presentation. So I'm going to say uh, uh, good night to, or good day, good day to YouTube and Spotify and Rumble, and I'm going to talk to the locals' people privately. Bye for now.